0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the Connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning. Didn't they do a great job on that? We're going to begin a new series today on Tell Me the Story. I got to spend some time with your deacons this week, and that was a lot of fun. And I'm just so grateful for the men and their families who serve this church. Uh, also, I just want to say thanks to Pastor Milt. They were able to get me a table that w- would work for me. And what I like about it is it's adjustable. So see, this way you know if it's going to be a short sermon or a long sermon. So, every day you can walk in here and go, uh-oh, should have had a snack. You know, the children's ministry is, is just phenomenal in this church. And that some of the children have helped by uh, giving us uh, pictures to illustrate the uh, message series. Uh, the hardest part was to figure out which picture to do for which I mean, because there was only 14 weeks. And so we had to eliminate. There's a lot of talent in this uh, uh, church. But this first one comes from seven-year-old Wyatt Mayfield, son of Wesley, Caitlin, and his brothers at Jensen and Nora. And here's a picture of the Mayfield. There they are. Okay. And we're grateful for them. And they're going to be in the second service. But we wanted you to know what they look like. And so we're grateful so much for Wyatt and what he did. And our first story is from Luke chapter 5, verse 17. It's a story that's also found in Mark chapter 2, but we're going to be looking in particular to Luke 15, 17. It's a story of the paralytic who couldn't get to Jesus, who had friends who wanted to be sure that he could get to Jesus. And so we're looking forward to that. This first message is called Getting to Carried Away. But uh, I also want to mention today, I'm very blessed. This is June 4th. This is my 40th wedding anniversary to this young lady right here. And so, I'm grateful to have my wife, Pauline, here. I, I'm going to tell you, one of the things I figured out very young as a kid is I would look at preachers, and I would look at their wives, and I, I remember thinking, they may not get paid a lot, but boy, do they really do well. And so, uh, that was help, helped my motivation, and honey, I just don't think it's fair. It's been 40 years, I look like me, and you still look like that. And so... It's not, not real fair, but that's okay. It's still good for me. So, that's great. So, I'm grateful that she could be here today and very thankful for that. Uh, I'm going to ask you to look with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. And, you know, I think that one reason why I love this story is because it's one of the earliest stories I remember being taught when I was a child. And back then, maybe part of the reason why it was so impacting is because we had this technology they were telling the story with that was amazing. It was called a flannel graph. Some of you remember flannel graphs. You know, you'd have this, you know, this big sheet of felt or whatever. Then you would take the pictures and you would put it on the flannel graph to explain the story. And then if you had a teacher that was really cutting edge, they would do this. They would hold the, the board with their hand and they would do this. And that made it a moving picture. <laughs> so, you know, it was, just, it was just great. But I can remember as a child thinking what it must have been like inside the room, on top of the roof. And so I want to ask you to go with me to that place as we experience through the Scripture what was happening inside that moment. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we're stepping back 2,000-plus years to that moment. And Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see it within the context of all that was happening, that we would see it within the reality of what these people were faced with, but also, God, that we would listen to you to hear what you have to say to us today and that we wouldn't miss what you want us to hear today. For I pray it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. It says, On one of those days, as he was teaching, speaking of Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus." So the, set, the setting that we have is Jesus is in Capernaum, a favorite place for him to go. And he is in a home and he is teaching. And as he's teaching, there begins to be a crowd. That people began to hear that Jesus, the one that that was the miracle giver, the one that was able to teach, not like they had heard other people teach, where it seemed like they were teaching simply a repeat of what someone else were to say, but rather someone that was teaching with the authority of the Lord, that was teaching them from his heart to their heart. And they wanted to get as near to him as they could. And the Bible says a crowd had gathered, but this wasn't just local people. The Bible says there were Pharisees, teachers of the law. Some had traveled as far as 80 miles away. Now, that may sound like a long way away if you are driving, but it's a lot longer if you're walking. For some of these folks, that was a four- to five-day journey. That's how far they were willing to walk to get into the presence of Jesus. The Bible says that as he is teaching, that a group came, and they were bringing a paralyzed friend, and that means that based upon it being a pallet, the odds were there's at least four friends involved, one at every corner. And the Bible says as they were coming, and they were coming up to get their friend to Jesus, they couldn't find a way in. Now, you can imagine what it was like that, you know, the average house at that time was maybe 4 to 450 square feet. That's basically about a 20 by 20. And that would be considered a fairly average house. And here they are. There's only so many doors. And they're trying to get into that door. And the crowd is gathered around so that they can hear Jesus, whether it's through the door or through the window or any crack or crevice they could find. And as he is teaching, there is a disturbance on the edge of the crowd. What's interesting is as this man that obviously has a need, these friends that obviously love their, love their friend, that as they get to the edge of the crowd, the crowd doesn't part for them. Now, I want you to stop for just a moment and think of what it's like that you're carrying a paralyzed man, and you're just trying to get your friend to Jesus. And there's people in that crowd, and I wonder if there might have been some that looked at them and said, hey, listen, we're all trying to get to Jesus. Maybe someone else says, listen, I'm trying to get healed too. I don't know what all the reasons were, and and we know that sometimes what happens on the outside of the crowd isn't understood on the inside of the crowd. But here's what I know. If we're not careful, the crowd can keep people from Jesus. And I have to think about that because sometimes I think if we're not careful, we can be the crowd keeping somebody from Jesus. That I can keep somebody from Jesus when they find out that I'm a believer, but they think about their last interactions with me and they don't see Jesus in them. I think I keep people, from the, uh, keep people on the outside when I crowd out the understanding of what Jesus really says and I add to the things of God. Or I somehow act like unless you think like I think or dress like I dress or wear what I wear or don't have any more piercings than I have, then you don't really, do you really fit? And I want you to hear something. Jesus today is always saying, let them get through the crowd into me. He wants them. I will tell you, Jesus always is looking for people on the outside of the crowd to draw them in so he can meet them and know them and love them and so they can say yes to him as Savior and Lord. And our, our role is not to say, I was here first. Our role is to say, there he is. Let me take you to him. The crowd Push back. So they went up on the roof. The Bible literally says. They begin to dig around on the roof. Now, if you've ever gone to Israel and you've seen the way that these houses are made, a common construction practice would have been to take reeds that you would have been able to gather in the watery areas and to and to create mats, put down the mat, and then put a layer of mud and then straw, then more reeds and more, more uh, mud and straw. And the tiles would have been the last part of that construction. So that literally the roof you built was the interior of the home or the ceiling so as they began to take off the roof let me tell you something i bet you there was a homeowner in there thinking did you pull a permit And there was probably a certain point where all of a sudden those reeds began to drain dirt and they began to see daylight coming through and people that were real close suddenly were scooting back because they were like, something is happening. All I know is this man had the kind of friends who said, we're not stopping until we get you to Jesus. We're not stopping. Whatever it takes. Tore through that. And you know, these men for me, they define true friendship. They have this attitude, whatever it takes, we're going to get you to Jesus. And you know, all of us need roof-ripping, rope-lowering friends in our lives. People who come alongside us. Because in this life, there will be times in your life where you need to tote a friend, and there are going to be times in your life where you need your friends to tote you. These men, by their action, showed that they love Jesus. Real friends take action to show their love. They don't just say it. They show it. I just want to ask you a question. Do you have these kind of friends in your life today? Do you have people in your life that they're there to tote you, they're there to carry, they're there to do whatever you need because they love you? And I will tell you, if you don't have those kind of friends in your life, you need them. And I believe that in this church, in this church family, you can find them. You know, I work with a lot of different churches, and one of the things that I do with them is I help them develop a visional strategy or I help them understand how to reach out to their community. And part of what we do in that is we ask a church, what does your church value? If someone were to come to your church for six months, what would they say that you value? Some churches, they would say, it appears that they value business meetings. They have enough. That's not you. I'm grateful for that. But I thought of one church in particular, and this is one of their values. They asked a simple question. Do you have any 2 a.m. friends? And what they meant by that is, do you have friends in your life that if you call them at 2 a.m., the first question wouldn't be, what do you want? They would start with, what do you need? Do you have friends in your life in that way? I've got a different question. Would someone say that you're that kind of friend to them? You see, sometimes the reason we don't have 2 a.m. friends, sometimes why we don't have rope-toting friends is because we're not being that to anybody else. You know what the Bible says? For a man to have friends, he must show himself friendly. And so if you want them, you might want to start by being one. This man had those kind of friends. Real friends really matter in our lives. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today." Now, can we, can we just pause for a moment and talk about this healing? Let's talk about this healing because there's two things very quickly I would point out. The first is this passage makes one thing very clear. Divine healing is real. It's real. The second is that today there's a lot of bad teaching about how divine healing actually occurs. Most of it, most of it puts the responsibility for it to happen on you. You have to have enough faith. You have to be the one that is so righteous. You have to be the one. It's all on you. But I question that. I question that because of what the Scripture says. Matter of fact, I thought about that when I was watching television several years ago, and there was a faith healer on TV, and I have been known to watch preachers on television. And so they're giving this plea, and what they said was, is you send in X amount of money, and then I'm going to send you a handkerchief. And then what you're going to do, and I don't even think it was this good a handkerchief. When I saw it, it looked like it was about a fourth this size, because, you know, you can only have so much good. You take the handkerchief, and you put it on the floor, and then you kneel on it, and you put your hands on the television, And the next time I'm on TV, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're sitting or or kneeling on your magic cloth, excuse me, holy cloth. That's what it was. But magic cloth seemed to be what I thought. If you're on that cloth, then you're going to get healed. Of course, my first thought, now, look, I know my wiring is a little bit bent. I know that. I confess it. My first thought was, I hope they don't have knee problems. Because this could go horribly bad. Okay. 911, can we help you? Yes, I knelt. I was believing Jesus, and it didn't go well. Okay. But there's a lot of pressure put on your faith. But you know, as you look at this passage, what's interesting, there's no record of this man's faith. It was his friend's faith. They took him. They busted the hole, they lowered, and Jesus saw their faith, and God did a work. So maybe if you're not healed, you need a better class of friends. (laughs) In Matthew 9, a woman who had been ill for 12 years touched his cloak, and Jesus responded to her personal faith even before he saw her. In Matthew 8, Jesus responds to a centurion's faith with a paralyzed servant who wasn't even present to be healed. So that that servant had nothing to do with it. It was the centurion's faith that Jesus responded to. In Luke 7, Jesus responded in spite of a lack of faith on the part of the healed person because if you look in Luke 7, they were dead. And he raised them. From the dead. They didn't have any faith. I promise you, the people in the procession didn't have faith because they were on their way to bury him, not to redress him. In some cases, though, God said no. In 2 Corinthians 12 8 and 10, it says that Paul with what he was facing. And we aren't totally clear on exactly what the malady was that he had. We think it had something to do with his eyes. We don't totally know what it was, but we know this. It was so hard that he asked God to take care of it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you know, I don't understand personally, I don't understand why God heals some people and not others. I don't don't understand how when people come to Christ and ask for healing, I have literally seen him heal one of their maladies, but not all of their maladies. I, I don't understand all of that. Here's what I do understand. No matter what, no high the challenge, I trust him. When I don't understand, I'm gonna trust him. When I even feel like I am talking to a wall, I'm gonna trust him. Because I have learned after year and year and decade and decade of following him that my Jesus is worth trusting. And that's a hard thing to say at the front end. You see, sometimes when we talk about people that, that you know, send money into somebody to get a handkerchief or to get, you know, oil to be anointed with or, or water to drink so you can taste water from the drawer. whatever it is, we can look at them and we can think, oh, bless their heart. You know, I don't know why you're duped like that. I'm not sure really. But let me tell you something. When you hurt bad enough, when your hope is low enough, when your struggle is so deep that you don't know a way out, you'll do just about anything to get relief. And I can't tell you how important it is when you're in that moment to have a church family just like this church family that can walk beside you and say, I'm with you. I'll hurt with you. I'll cry with you. I'll walk with you. But you just need to know I'm with you. And we both don't understand what's happening. But we're going to trust him. And we're going to walk together. Because I'm not going to let you walk alone. The point of Luke 5 isn't that the man was healed. Point of Luke five is that the Son of Man can forgive. Because I'll tell you, the deepest healing everyone of us needs is not a physical malady. The deepest healing we need is to heal the separation that we have with God because of sin. While this healing benefited the paralytic, it blessed his friends. It was purpose was to illustrate something bigger. Salvation comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Hear again what Jesus says in verse twenty man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts and answered them, he said, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise pick up your bed, and go home. The focus of this passage is is not the miracle. It's the Messiah. The reality of this man's need to be forgiven and the truth that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. That's what God was doing in this passage. And, you know, I'm I'm struck by the fact that today, as we gather in this place, you may have many different needs. You may have needs that uh, are physical. You may have needs that are emotional. You may have needs that are financial. But I will tell you, you have no greater need than this. And that's the need for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if you've never embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord. In a few moments, when we have the invitation, this is the day for you to step out and to come to me and tell me, I want to know Jesus. And I want to walk with you through the conversation of how to know him. But there's others of us that are here today and we're struggling because you have been in pain, you have been sick, you have been going through things and you have wondered about where God is and I hope that in this moment that you and I are in together that you have heard the heart of the Father, that he is there for you. I, I, I still pray for people to be healed. I have no trouble praying for people to be healed. It's scriptural. I trust God in the healings. So there's nothing wrong with praying for healing. But you may be on that long journey in which the healing isn't coming and you're stumbling and you're asking the question, God, where are you in my pain? and today what you need is someone just to step beside you to pray for you and to and to pray with you through this moment and to walk with you and be an encouragement to you and we want that for you but you may be here too and you would say pastor I don't have any of those 2 a.m. friends I've been coming to this church for several years, and I really can't tell you who in this church would notice if I was gone. And I want you to know something. If that is true for you, we are sorry. We don't want it to be that way for you. But could I ask you to trust us one more time, just take one more step, and just... Let us know where you are, let us pray with you because I'm going to tell you, there are people literally within earshot of your voice right now that would want to be that kind of friend for you. If a man wants to have friends, he has to be friendly. When I was a little kid, we moved around a lot, and I'll never forget it because I, I am by nature an introvert. And so no, I have to make that up. I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm an extroverted introvert. I learned how to be outgoing by discipline. And I can tell you where I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, walking across the back of a church after the 12th move, going into a new school in a week, knowing I was going one more time, have to make new friends, and telling the Lord how unfair I thought he was. Because he needed some help. And the Lord spoke that verse in my heart and said, Roger, if you'll be a friend, you'll have a friend. Go be friendly. So I had to learn. And some of you, you've hidden behind the idea that you're shy. And you've hidden behind the idea that you don't want to be exposed or vulnerable because you've been hurt before. And I'm telling you right now, you've got to take the chance. So I don't know what all is going on in your world, but I know this. If you don't know Jesus, he wants to know you. If you don't have those kind of friends, we want to be that friend to you. And if you are walking through a journey where you are struggled because of health and other concerns, we want to pray for you. So in just a few moments, when I ask us to stand up, We are going to to pray and we're going to sing. There's going to be deacon families on either side of me. There'll be one in the the balcony area. I'll be here at the front. There'll be folks over in the welcome center. I will tell you, if, if you want to talk to somebody, we are ready to talk to you. Even when the service is over, I'm always here waiting. I want you to hear something. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He doesn't want you ever walking out of his church family without your needs being met. So let's stand together. We're going to pray together. And as we sing, you come forward for ministry. You know, I'm struck by something. There may be somebody in here, and you need to go to somebody else, and you need to say to them, I want to thank you for being my 2 a.m. friend. I want to thank you for what you poured into my life. I'm just appreciative. Or there may be somebody else that's sitting here saying, I need to go to somebody and I need to tell them the truth. And that is, I've been giving them just the outside of me because I was concerned that if they really knew me, they wouldn't like what they saw. Here's what you need to know. God sees you all the way down to your socks and he loves you. We want to love you too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are here today. Here we are. And God, as we think about this story, some of us, we identify with that crowd. We understand pushing others out, and we're sorry. Others of us, we're we're on that mat, and we are counting on friends to tote us to your presence. Father, there's some folks in here, and they're such good friends. They, They will tear through the roof. They'll do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. But Lord, I want to thank you that when this happened, you didn't didn't criticize or, or correct them for tearing through the roof. You saw their heart, and you responded to their heart. Father, today, may our hearts respond to you as we begin to sing, as we begin to say, yes, in our hearts, what you are doing today. Give us the courage to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.